Welcome to New Creation Ministries Sermon Podcast. This week, guest speaker Ivory Bando challenges us to see ourselves the way the Lord created us to be. A chosen people caught out of darkness and into his marvelous life. Listen in as we explore the difference between our own self-image and the identity we have in Christ Jesus. All right, y'all. I'm back again. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad somebody's glad. Okay. So... Like PM just said, um, I gave this message about a couple months ago um, with our young adult ministry here at the church. And uh, when I first gave the message, I started by asking all of the participants that night to um, get in small groups. And I wanted them to go through and answer two questions. So the first question I asked them was to think about how they would describe themselves if, to someone who didn't know them. So if someone didn't know who you were, you walked up on them one day, maybe you met at the store, and they asked you, like, hey, like, what do you do? What's what's going on with you? And you try to describe yourself, could you do it? The second question I asked them was, how would those who already know you well describe you? These seemed like two fairly easy questions to answer, but almost every person in that room struggled with question number one. It was like asking them to talk about themselves was hard which is not typical for us. But when it got to question number two, everyone rattled off all of these different answers. Like, oh, well, my mom would say I'm organized, or I'm a mom because I have two boys. Um, I'm, I'm a wife, I'm married, or my friends would say that I'm loving. I care a lot about my friends. I had one young lady say, well, I'm extremely indecisive. All my friends say I can never pick where to go to eat because I can never decide. Um, and it was so easy for everyone to rattle off those answers. And when I prepared to give this message this weekend, I thought, well, why was it so easy for us to answer that question for the question two, but it was such a hard thing for question number one, because question two answers could have been given for question one. But what what the Lord showed to me was that it was so much easier for everyone in that room to see themselves through the eyes of what someone else thought about them than it was for them to believe who they actually are within themselves. And I felt like that exercise was confirmation for what the Lord was revealing to me, that there are some serious dangers with us as his people confusing our identity with an image of ourselves. So this morning we're going to talk about who you are. Who are you? We're going to learn the difference between an image of who you are, and the actual identity of who you are, which is given to you by Christ. So we're going to jump in by just understanding foundationally what is image, what is identity. So an image is based on an idea or perception of who you are from an outward appearance. So it's typically what people see when they see you. Your identity is based in the fact or truth of your character, which is within you, which is what God sees, which is what he has created you to be. And so I feel like the Lord took me to 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. And it reads, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Elab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. In this scripture, Samuel is coming to meet Jesse's sons to anoint a new king after God has rejected Saul as the king of Israel. And in the scripture, he's reminding Samuel not to be tempted to choose a king based on his image and what was outwardly appealing to people. Because God chooses people that he anoints, that trust him, that love him, and will obey his commands. But what's the need for this reminder? Because this wasn't the first time that God had Samuel anoint a king for Israel. So if we look, go back and look at Saul's story, the king that has been rejected, which has led Samuel now to have to come and anoint a new one. Like Jesse's sons, Saul was also defined by his outward appearance. In 1 Samuel 9, 2, it actually says that Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. He was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And when I was reading through the story of Saul, I felt like the Lord pulled out three very distinct things to me. I felt like he showed me what God was saying about Saul, so what his identity actually was, what Saul said about Saul, his false identity, and then what people said about Saul, so his image. So what God said about Saul was that he was going to anoint a leader of his people, Israel. He was going to rescue them from the Philistines, for he has looked down on his people in, in their mercy, and he has heard their cry. God said that Saul was going to be the one that he would anoint as king to deliver his people. That's what God said about Saul. That was his identity. What Saul said about Saul was the complete opposite. When Samuel told Saul that, Saul replied to him and said, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> the smallest tribe in Israel and my family is actually the least important of all of them. Why are you talking to me like this? That doesn't sound anything like I'm the anointed one and I'm going to lead God's people and I'm going to rescue. That doesn't sound anything like what God said about him. To make it worse, people also didn't align with what God said about Saul. Because when Saul returned back home after Samuel told him you were going to be the anointed king, there were scoundrels who actually complained and said, how can this man save us? They scorned him and they refused to bring him gifts. So it, that's a problem within itself because the people of Israel were placing God-sized expectations on a man and they were deceived into believing that a man could save them anyway. But I'm gonna say that part for later. <laughs> Saul not believing what God said about him ultimately led to his rejection. In 1 Samuel 15, 24, it says, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Because Saul identified with an image of himself that wasn't the identity that God gave to him, it opened a door in his life of fear. Fear of people. Fear of even what he thought about him. Well, maybe they're right. I really, I mean, I, our family is the least tribe. That led to him being disobedient to God, 
and God rejected Saul as king. And through Saul's story, I felt like God was showing me there's two ways that even today we can confuse our identity with our image. The first way that we can do that is by confusing who people say, think, or believe that we are versus who God says that you are. And if I could give you a, I guess, modern day example, I'm gonna share a bit of my story. When I was in college, I was extremely attached to my friend group. They had labeled me as the life of the party. That was the image of me that they had. And I believed every single piece of it. I, if I wasn't at a party, I was throwing one. I always had to be around and seen because that was me, right? My friend said that I'm the life of the party, so that's what I believe. That's the image that they had of me. But what happened is my friends then became my standard. Anything that they did, I had to do it too, right? They just gave me an image of who they believed that I was, and I allowed that to be what I lived my life from. And all that's great when we're doing great things, right? We decided we wanted to start going to Bible study. We decided that, okay, now we're going to go to church. We're not going to go out and drink anymore. We're not smoking. We're not doing any of that. We want to honor the Lord. And that's all great because those are good things. But the question is, what happens when, in actuality, your foundation is built on people? How solid is that foundation really? Because in April of 2014, my best friend and I became members of a Greek letter organization. And our, our plan was, okay, we're gonna join this group of girls, we're gonna be in this sorority, but we are still gonna honor God, okay? They are not gonna change us. We know who we are, right? And at first we did it, we held in there strong, but the issue with that is we were never built on a firm foundation. And so what happens was the slope got slippier and slippier and slippier, and before we knew it, our organization had become an idol. And we lived from that very image that the sorority lifestyle told us we were supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be the ones throwing the parties on campus. We're supposed to be supplying the drinks. We gotta be in secrecy, we gotta hide. If you're not with us, you gotta get going, right? This is our club. We have to hold this organization as sacred. There are certain things that I can do, certain things I can say, certain things I can and can't wear. There are certain rituals that I have to perform and no one else can know about them. And I thought it was all okay because nobody at church knew who I was outside of church. And of course, because God knows my heart, you know, he knows my heart and I'm trying, Lord, I'm, you know I'm trying. I thought we had time to get it right. Me and my best friend, we thought we, we good, we, we all right until we didn't have time anymore. Three months later, just five days before her 21st birthday, my best friend was killed in a hit and run accident by a drunk driver whose alcohol level was two times the legal limit. I was angry, y'all. I can't talk about it today and still not cry. I was hurt. I was confused because we had time. We had time to get it right. And in that moment, after we had her funeral, 
after I helped her mother pick out her casket because her mother couldn't do it herself, after I had to stand before a group of our friends and loved ones and preside over her funeral, and we buried her, I didn't know who I was. Everything that I believed about me died with her. Everything. She taught me everything that I knew about me. When I met her, it was the first time that I was excited to be a black woman. I grew up in a predominantly white area and hated the way that I looked because of it. When I came and I met her, she taught me how to celebrate who God created me to be. I'm a black woman, in case you didn't know. <laughs> Just in case. For the first time, when I was with her, it was celebrated that I was loud. It was celebrated that I spoke up and I used my voice. So when she left, I thought I was gone. Who am I now? What am I supposed to do? And so I did what I thought was the very next best thing, and I found who I was and something else. That was a relationship. I was dating someone at the time, and I felt like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, Lord. You took her and you gave me him, right? So this is where I'm supposed to be. And I tried to do the right thing. I tried to still go to church and still try to find my identity in Christ. It wasn't working. I still lived with my boyfriend. We were doing things that unmarried people should not be doing. And we just thought, okay, well, everything's okay. Everything's fine. The Lord's still with us. And just a few months after I got baptized, we found out that we were pregnant with our first son. And that brings me to the second way that we can confuse our identity and our image. You can do that by confusing who you say and think and believe that you are with who God actually says that you are. My first pregnancy was the, one of the hardest seasons of my life. Between the pressures that I had from family who really had high goals for me, and they, they were well-loving, right? I was the first in my family to go away to college, to graduate, to have a degree. So there was these expectations that I was gonna be something great. That's Ivor, she's gonna be a lawyer. I backtalk a lot when I was younger. She's gonna go and she's gonna do all these great things but they had their vision of what those great things would be. Then I had this physical toll of the first trimester of pregnancy. I can't eat, I can't sleep. The smell of a trash can makes me want to throw up. I can't physically even move most of the time. And then I had these internal thoughts about myself. This overwhelming feeling of shame, disappointment, guilt, embarrassment. I felt every single piece of it. And between all of those different things, those thoughts, those ideas that I believed about me, this image that I had painted of myself, I hid and I went into a depression. I stopped showing up to work. I didn't go to school anymore. I didn't answer my phone. I just didn't want anyone to see me because I could not bear anyone to see the shame and the sin that I physically had to wear on my body. I couldn't hide it anymore. And even after we told our families and we received great support from them, 
I had identified more with the lies that the enemy wanted me to believe about myself than who God says that I am. And then one day, I decided that I was going to go to church. I was by myself, and I didn't want anybody to know I was going. I didn't want anybody to know I was there. So I kind of snuck in the back. The lights were down low. We were in worship, and I was all the way in the back of the church. During that closing worship moment, Pastor Mark was at the front of the church. And out of nowhere, he starts walking towards back. He never saw me come in. He looked at me, and I'm as pregnant as I can be. There's no hiding it. And he just wraps his arms around me and gives me the biggest hug that I have ever received from this man in my life. He still to this day has never hugged me like that again. And he only said three words to me. He said, welcome home, daughter. That's all he said. And in that moment, I knew it wasn't past Mark. I knew it was God. I knew that God was with me in that moment. I knew that he was pleased with me. I knew that he loved me, that he saw me, and that he was not embarrassed or ashamed of me at all. That I had no reason to hide anymore. I had nothing to be ashamed of. Because the great thing about it is while I knew all of those things and they are very much still true to this day, he doesn't just say those things about me. He says that about every single one of you in this room. Here is what he says about you. We're going to look at Psalm 139, 13 through 18. It reads, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and do his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Last night after I preached this message, the Lord woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And a question kept coming to my mind, like, okay, Lord, if this is what you say about me, then why, why the confusion? Why am I confusing this image that's false with the true identity that you're giving me? If I can clear, clearly see it and read it and know what you say. And I felt like the Lord said to me, 
Because you identify with what you recognize. Okay, we identify <laughs> with what we recognize. A couple of weeks ago, the kids, my boys went to a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. And I know for sure that there were thousands of little kids running around screaming. Lots of mommy, 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 and daddy, daddy, daddy. And as a mom, or as a father, it doesn't matter how many kids are in a room, when your child says mom, or when your child says dad, you don't even have to turn. You know it's them. When your child has fall fallen and they are crying out, mommy, daddy, you don't even have to turn. You know who it is, that's mine. Because I can recognize the voice of my children. And when I'm in a room, or when my boy's father is in a room and they hear Caleb Isaac, Carter Thomas, they already know what time it is. They already know what time it is. Because why? Because they know our voice. They know the voice of their father. They know the voice of their mother. They were born hearing our voices. They've been hearing their voices since before they were born. But the thing about it is, we spend time with each other. We've developed a relationship that requires knowing the tone, the inflection. How fast do I need to get there? Do I have some time? Does that mean you want me to come or you coming to me? They know every little inkling of our voice because they take this, we spend time with each other. And that's the same thing that needs to happen with our Heavenly Father. We have to be able to identify His voice. We have to be able to recognize it. If we don't recognize His voice, how are we gonna identify with being called a chosen people? How are we gonna identify with being called His special possession if we don't know what His voice sounds like? The one thing that is really important for me as a person who works in marketing, who spends literally most of their day on the internet. Yes, that sounds as bad as it sounds. <laughs> it's okay not to be and know every news story. It's okay to not know every scandal that's happened in the global church. It's okay for us not to be on every ship that goes and sails and comes. We don't need to know all of those things. Why? Because we need to be guarding our hearts. We need to be thinking about the things of heaven and not the things of this earth. Because when we spend more time fixing our eyes on all the noise and all these things around us, we are building a muscle of recognizing the voice of this world and of culture over the voice of God. Culture is loud, y'all. It's loud. Everywhere you turn, something's burning, something's happening. They did this. Did you hear that? It's loud. It's in your face. You have to purposefully try to silence that so that you can hear the calm and quiet voice of the Lord. He's not going to shout over all that. You have to be intentional about saying no to this 
so I can say yes to more of him. And then he said this, like these two words, and I really didn't understand like what they meant for like a while. He kept saying unrecognizable warfare. And I was like, what does that mean? I don't understand, Lord, help me. And he was like, the reason why there's this confusion with image and identity is because the battles aren't meant to look like battles. If, it, if, we, if our image was meant, this image that people tell us that we are or what we think that we should be was a scary thing, we wouldn't go after it. If the oven is hot, you're not going to touch it. If it looks hot, you're not going to touch it. So what happens is the enemy disguises the warfare. It's unrecognizable. You don't even know that you're in a battle. You can't win a fight that you don't even know you're in. You won't fight if you don't know you're in one. You won't gear up for war if you don't know one is coming. The goal of the enemy in these unrecognizable moments is to deceive you or to disable you. Two things. Because he wants to keep you on the sidelines. He doesn't want you in the game. He doesn't want you there. He wants you to believe there's nothing for you to do. And again, that's a lie. Because in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, it tells me that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So there's plenty of work to be done. And the enemy is aware. And if he can keep you on the sideline, his job is done, he thinks. So you run into this issue of being deceived. If, I look, if we look back at Saul's story, we know that Samuel had appointed him to be king. But in just one chapter before that, in 1 Samuel 7, the Lord had just delivered the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. They had decided, okay, we're going to get rid of our foreign gods and idols, and we're going to really do this God thing. Samuel pleaded, and he prayed, and he sacrificed on their behalf, and God answered them. The Bible actually says that he called with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that defeated the Philistines on behalf of the Israelites. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for them. Because even after God had brought them out again and again and again and again, they wanted to be like the nations around them. They didn't even listen to Samuel's warning. He tried to tell them, if y'all get a king, it ain't going to be sweet. It's not going to be what you think it is. Do not think that just because you see these nations around you prospering or they have this or that, it's not going to be what you think that it is. They didn't care. Give it to us anyway, Lord. We'll take our chances. And I feel like a lot of times when we read the word, we give the Israelites so much, like, flack. <laughs> like, really? Why would y'all do that? Why would y'all? Why would but you know the thing about it is, we still do the same stuff. And if this, if, this, if this is for nobody in this room, this is for me. I was up at 3 a.m. being like, teach me, Lord. Yes. Because this was for me. We still do the same stuff. We get deceived by the highlight reel of social media and what the person is wearing when they came into church and what kind of shoes they had on when they came in. Oh, did you see that new car they had in the, out there in the parking lot? 
We see the highlight reel. That's all we see. We see what people want us to see. We don't know the reality behind the post. We don't know what's actually happening behind the scenes. But then we get so invested without really knowing that reality. And then we become convinced that what we see is now the standard. Well, if they had that kind of job, I should have that. I mean, we have the same degree. Well, if they've been married for that long and now they have that kind of house, I guess we should have the same thing. Well, if their kids go to that school and I know we make more money than them, then our kids should be there too. Y'all, we spend way too much time and energy trying to be like the nations around us instead of being and living like God's chosen people. And then comes the hard part for me, which is the disablement, the getting stuck, getting paralyzed. It's that in internal battle, the thoughts and the voices that you hear when you're by yourself or when you've made a mistake, the ones that nobody else around you can hear. And if you tell somebody that you can hear a voice, they're probably going to say, we need to get you some help. <laughs> because it's easy. Like when, when I first asked God that question, why do we get confused with this image and our identity? I was like, well, for me, it's just easy. It's easy to get confused because when I hear those like thoughts and those words that are telling me you're not enough, you're not a good mom, you're not a good wife, you've been doing this job for six, seven years and you still haven't been promoted, are you really supposed to be here? Those, those words, no matter how negative or harsh they are, the voice sounds like me. It's not a scary voice. It's not grimacing or growling. It's not doing anything that would make me think, okay, this voice is unrecognizable. No, it sounds just like me talking. And remember what we said, you identify with what you recognize. So if the voice sounds like you, you're going to identify it because the voice is recognizable. I had a friend, and she still goes to our church, where we were doing another one of our church fasts at the time, and she told me that she was fasting negative thoughts. And I was like, now, dude, you just trying to eat, or are you really, what, how are you going to fast? Now, how are you going to fast your thoughts? You know how to do something I don't know how to do. What's, what's going on here? And she told me that when she had a thought, that didn't align with what she thought God felt or said or thought about her, she was gonna grab her word and replace it. She said, my problem is I hear the thought and I leave it. I let it cement, I let it fester. And then it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. And that's because the enemy just needs this much space. And see, he's not like our God, he's not a gentleman. So if you give him that much space, oh, he gonna kick that door. He's going to kick it down, and he's going to come all the way in. It's easy to sit and scroll and scroll and scroll and binge watch on this show and watch this show. And when you've had a long day, I don't want to pick up my Bible and read after I just dealt with this email and that email and the school is calling and this person needs that. I just want to just relax. I don't, I don't want to think. But what happens when you allow yourself to fall into this pattern of easy, you get stuck. You become disabled in that space. 
the Lord gave me this image of quicksand. When you roll up on quicksand, it looks like sand. Not unless there's a sign that says, beware quicksand. It just looks like part of the dirt. And if you step in it, the harder you fight to get out, the tighter the sand holds you. And if you don't take a moment to stop and recognize where you are, relax and take small steps to get out. If you keep trying to wrestle, if you keep trying to fight it, it's gonna pull you deeper and deeper and deeper and to the point where you're just like, well, I guess I'm stuck here, so I'm just gonna stop fighting. Well, my, to my kid told me he didn't like me today. I must be a horrible mom. I'm not gonna text my, my mom friends and ask them to pray for me. I'm not gonna text my small group. I'm not gonna read the word and see what the Lord says about me as a parent. I'm not gonna do any of that. I'm just gonna let that thought fester and it's gonna keep going and it's gonna keep going until I believe it enough that I stop fighting and I get stuck. That actually happened to me two months ago when I taught this message for the first time. The Lord gave me this message, I shared it, and it blessed people, praise the Lord. When I left the church that night, everything was fine for the first couple days until the thoughts started coming. Who do you think you are? You gonna try to teach somebody about God? What do you know? Didn't you just share this testimony where like you literally were having sex before marriage and you were doing this, this, that, and the third and you think somebody's gonna listen to you? Who do you think you are? And I didn't fight back. I let it fester. I let it fester until I believed it. Because the enemy wanted me to take myself out of the game. And that for me is the hardest struggle, that mental battle. For some of us, it is the mental battle. Some of us, it's the external battle when we see all the things and we think, oh, we need to be like that. One of those battles might be equally, there might be equally hard for you, maybe one's harder than the other, but all of us are battling. All last year, I felt like the Lord was telling me, Ivory, it's time for you to let Delta go. Delta was the Greek letter organization I was in. It's time for you to let it go. It's time for you to let it go. And I was like, well, Lord, like, I've been financial in like years. They're not getting my money. You know, I don't go to chapter meetings. I got kids, so I'm too busy chasing after them. I'm not really doing anything that's involved with it. So I guess I'm good, right? And I delayed and I drug my feet, but he kept speaking. He would drop a little thing here, drop a little thing there. Until literally one of my sorority sisters came to me and said, the Lord told me it's time for me to drop Delta. And I was like, okay, God, I guess it's time. I didn't do it until literally about three or four days ago now, I was watching a video and the person called that out in the video. And I was like, okay, God, I'm, gonna, I'm doing it right now. It was like 12 o'clock in the morning, I got my laptop and I just, what do I, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm looking at all the things, I'm doing all the things. And the next morning at eight o'clock in the morning, I sent my letter of renouncement to the organization. It was 801 on the dot, y'all. At 8.20ish, I got a call from Pastor Mark Hanna. I'm like, why in the world is Pastor Mark calling me this early? And he don't call without telling you he's gonna call 
or without scheduling some time. He's a busy man. He schedules time with you. So I was like, maybe it's an emergency. Maybe I should answer. And when I answered it, he asked me what I was doing next weekend. And I said, well, you know, PM, I'm in, you know, teaching the kids next weekend. And he was like, oh, okay, well, what are you doing this weekend? This is Thursday. And I'm like, well, nothing. My husband has a dentist appointment. Y'all, I didn't even say I'm coming to church. I said nothing. And he goes, well, I feel like the Lord has been putting it on my heart during this fast that the church needs to hear the message that you gave at Flame. This is about 20 minutes after me deciding that I was going to renounce my letters after the Lord has been telling me that I need to let go of that identity for a year. And I said, wait, you want me to talk to the grownups? That's literally what I said. The, the grownups and, the, and grown-up church? He was like, well, yeah, it ain't no baby word. And I was like, okay, I guess you're right. And in that moment, I was like, God, you know what? You are so good. You are so faithful. You are so merciful. You gave me time when I didn't deserve it. I don't know why, but all I know is it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with who he is and what he's done. And with some hesitancy, I said, okay, PM, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I still struggle and I still fight with that, y'all. I would be not giving you any kind of truth if I told you I have not been struggling every day since Thursday. Hearing the thoughts, hearing the voices, you're not good enough. Have you seen Pastor Mark preach? Sit down, girl. You're not good enough. You've been struggling for the last two months, struggling to read your word. Who do you think you're going to teach? But I fought back this time. I fought back this time. And I'm going to fight back next time because I know, I know this time, after this weekend, it's on, devil. <laughs> it's on. Because he's coming. I, now I know the warfare is not unrecognizable for me anymore. I know that you're coming because I'm not on the sidelines anymore. My life was loud when I was in the world. I was loud. You, didn't, you could have been in another room. You knew I was in the building. My life was loud. And I felt like... I don't want to get up in front of people and, and say these things. I mean, guys, my testimony, this is one of the first times I've ever said these things out loud. I don't want to get up in front of people that I love and I respect and tell them this was once who I was. The enemy has been trying so hard to make me feel like that old you is still you. You just have on nicer clothes, but God, that's not true. Not if the God I serve says that I'm new in him. I'm free in him. That doesn't mean you dress up a pig. That means it's a brand new animal. That's what that means. The difference from ivory then to ivory now is I believe that. And I'm going to fight for that. I have to fight for that. Why do I have to fight for that? Because I know that my father has called me to do something. Is it scary? Yeah. 
Does it make me nervous? Absolutely. But I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight because he deserves me giving my life to him. No matter what I have to lose, no matter what I have to give up, no matter who leaves me, who talks about me, who doesn't understand, no matter what, he deserves my fight. And like Pastor Mark said, I don't have to fight by myself. I'm not fighting by myself. He's with me. He's fighting with me. He's fighting for me. He fought for me when I couldn't fight for myself. Those last two months, he didn't stop talking to me, y'all. I might have stopped talking to him because I was too ashamed, too embarrassed. He never stopped talking to me. He kept trying to show me, I need you to let this thing go. I need you to let this thing go. And I had no reason. I had no understanding of why. I didn't know that he was telling me to let that thing go because he had something much greater for me to pick up. I didn't know that. What I keep trying and saying to myself is, my relationship with the Lord is not a means to an end. I don't have a relationship with the Lord so I can have a microphone in my hand. That's not why I do what I do for the Lord. There is something inside of me that just has to give him his glory, that just has to give him his praise because I know what he's brought me through, what he's brought me from. And I will spend the rest of my life telling anybody and everybody that I can that if he can do it for me, if he can do it for me, if he can do it for my husband who did not know the Lord, I watched him question and ask. He didn't understand. And when I stepped aside and I let the Lord have him, the Lord had his way. And he leads our family so graciously. If he can do it for me, if he can do it for him, he wants to do it for you. It's not just that he can, it's that he wants to do it for you. Again, I'll say, I don't know why. I kept saying to myself, Lord, why me? Why me? I'm not anybody special. Don't I sound like Saul? Why me? Why me? And yesterday morning, when I was worshiping the Lord, I was taking down my Christmas decorations, and I'm worshiping, and I'm praising, and I just fell down on my knees. And said, I just heard the Lord say to me, there's a thousand reasons why not you. I could write a book about why not me, but it only takes one reason. And that reason has nothing to do with me, nothing at all. It has everything to do with what he did on that cross. Everything to do with that. My identity is not based in my works, what I can do, not just the bad stuff. Because we also, as a church, not just this church, nobody in here, nobody, nobody here, but as a church, we have an issue with thinking, oh, well, because I know the Lord, and I go to church, and I do this, and I do that, we find our identity even in Christian things. I would be lying if I didn't say years ago, I had an inkling that the Lord wanted me to get to this place. I tried it, actually. 
but I tried it through my works and my way. And I wanted the glory and I wanted people to see me. And I wanted people to think I was knowledgeable about the Bible. And I wanted people to think that I was the best Christian girl that there was. And, oh, I don't do that. I'm a Christian. I know God. <laughs> no, that's, I don't do that. And that's great. Praise the Lord. But was I really trying to give God the glory in that? The Lord had to tell me, and maybe he's trying to tell you, that even in the spiritual gifts that he's given you, your identity is still not there. Your identity is not in your gifts. They're in the giver. He is the main gift. And so now that y'all know, because I said it out loud, that I'm going to fight, y'all have to fight too. So what's the battle plan? Since I decided that I want to talk military talk all of a sudden, what's the battle plan? How do we fight? One, know what your father says about you. You have to know. Because remember, we identify with what we recognize. So you need to let your identity be found in the unchanging character of Christ. But to do that, you have to know his character. And doing that, it takes practice. You have to spend time with him. You have to be disciplined in that. You have to be intentional. There's going to be days where you don't want to read your Bible. Newsflash, in case anyone didn't know, there's going to be days that you don't want to read your Bible. There's going to be days where you don't want to come to church. It's cold outside. I don't like the cold. We can watch church online. But there is something so precious about coming here and being with each and every one of you and knowing and seeing you and just hearing what God is doing in your life and just hearing us worship all together. There's something different about it. I didn't believe that for a long time, but I feel that now. So you have to fight. You have to fight to get here. You have to fight to get here. You have to fight to get there. Don't accept every thought. Just don't do it. If you hear a thought that comes to you, check with your father first. Our oldest son, both of my boys, they have low-cut haircuts. And my oldest son, he's in second grade. And in about first grade, he started having a little boy at school make fun of him about his hair. He would tell him, oh, you're bald. You're bald. And it would really upset my oldest son. He's got really big emotions, and he don't like being talked about. He don't like it. And so he let that little boy know in class while the teacher was teaching. <laughs> and uh, first grade was a year, y'all. It was a year. But what I had to tell him when he came home that night was I took him in. I took him in the mirror, and I said, now you look at your head. Do you have hair up there? He was like, yeah, but it's not a lot. And I was like, but there's hair. I hate to say this, PM. I said, do you want to know what bald looks like? <laughs> I said, Pastor Mark is bald, buddy. <laughs> He's bald. You have hair. So just because somebody says something about you, it doesn't make it true. If mommy says that you're not bald, if daddy says you're not bald, then you're not bald. Don't take any wooden nickels, y'all. 
My dad used to say that to me and my sister when we were younger. He would always say, boot belly, don't take no, don't you take no wooden nickels. And I was like, what in the world does that mean? Because wooden nickels are not real. That's the point. Don't be deceived. Don't take a counterfeit version of God. Don't live from a counterfeit version of you. Because we are called to be a new person in Christ. We shouldn't be recognizable to the people who knew us before Christ. The world should recognize that there is something different about us. Set a mark of remembrance, y'all. In 1 Samuel 7, after God helped Israel defeat the Philistines, Samuel placed a large stone marking the victory that they had just won through Christ, and he named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. He said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Where in your life can you place those stones of help? Where can you mark the victories that God has given you? Because so easily we forget. We have such a short-term memory. We forget what God has done. We forget what he says and who he says that we are. We forget what has happened, the battles that he's brought us through. When we're out here and we're fighting, go back to those stones. Remember that your father is a redeemer, y'all. Today, as I'm standing before you, I'm marking my own stone. This is a stone for me. When I go home to my family, that's me marking a stone. Because my then boyfriend is now my husband. We've been married for seven years and we both love and serve the Lord. We have two amazing boys that are both a blessing from God, both of them. And as of this week, I've officially renounced my membership from Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So as the worship team gets ready to worship and PM comes up to close us out, I just wanna leave you with a question. Ask yourself, what am I identifying with? Is it social media? Is it expectations from family and friends? Is it your relationships or maybe lack thereof? Is it what you do for work? Is it the money that's in your account or lack thereof? Or are you recognizing the voice of your father and what he says about you? Do you know that your identity in Christ comes from the work that he did on the cross and anything else is counterfeit? Build your life on his firm foundation and his unchanging character because that is a place of freedom and acceptance. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our sermon for this week. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. To learn more about New Creation Ministries, please check out our website at www.ncm.life.